Hello, and welcome to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. I'm Brandy, and I'm part of the Ridge team here in Morgantown. The past few years have been challenging for all of us. We've experienced many losses and have grown weary. But what have we learned through this trial? Have we stopped to grieve? Can we be better prepared for trials that we may face in the future? Listen as Pastor Tim addresses some of those questions in a talk from Take Time, an encouraging series that will help us slow down and learn what God may be wanting to teach us in the days ahead. Well, good morning. Before I begin, I wanted to make a push for this Advent Journey uh, journal that's going to be out in the lobby. They're free of charge, and it'll allow you to follow along with us. The uh, sermon series beginning next Sunday is going to follow the same themes as are in this book. There are five for each of the days, of, or five in a week, leading up to uh, Christmas. So grab one of these and, and follow along. I think you'll really be blessed if you do that. Uh, I'd like to begin today by asking a theological question. And the question is this, did God cause the pandemic? You just think about it for a moment. Don't raise your hands. But do you think that God is responsible for the pandemic? Is is he the one that brought it about? Now, I think it's an important question because I think some people have been really struggling with their faith as a result of what we've gone through as a nation and as a world the last couple of years. I think it's impacted some people's relationship with God. In fact, I think some people have even come to question whether God even exists because you wonder if God is sovereign, if God exists, how could he possibly allow something like this, a worldwide pandemic? Now, based on what's taught in the pages of the Bible, one of the answers to the question of where should we assign the responsibility or maybe in this case blame has to be with humanity. In fact, ultimately, I think uh, humanity is the main reason why. And I'm not talking about whether or not it was humanity that maybe crafted this thing in the lab someplace. I don't want to get into that discussion. But I'm talking about the fact that God created Adam and Eve and placed them in, in a garden. And he said, don't, don't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. And he said, the day you eat of it, you'll die. And God had warned them ahead of time to trust him, to believe in him, to put their trust in him, but they didn't do it. And as a result, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, horrible things happened to all the creation. A curse came upon it. What I'd call the curse of death descended upon everything in the world in which we live. And suddenly we were in a world where there's sickness and death and sorrow and thorns and thistles and rust and decay and earthquakes and pandemics. None of this would have happened had they obeyed God. None of this would exist. The floodgates were open wide here. And so it's not God's fault that we don't live in a paradise now. See, when he created everything, it was perfect. It was very, very good. But they didn't listen to God. It's almost like um, God gave them a Ferrari and they crashed it. And then they come back to God and they say, you know, the car's not working right doesn't drive the way it should. It's, it's, not, it's not God's fault. The Apostle Paul describes creation. He says it's under the bondage of corruption was the terminology in the English that we have. It's bound to this corruption or the way I'd word it. It's a prisoner to decay. All of creation. And as I've mentioned before, of course, all of creation groans, as Paul said. 
like a woman in labor. I can't relate to that one personally, but it doesn't look fun. All of creation is groaning. It's all of creation is suffering. All of creation is looking for the day when there's going to be the birth of a new heaven and a new earth, but right now it's not here, and so we're in this world where there's this suffering. And so ultimately, I'd say, you know, the bad things that happen in this world have to do with humanity. We're, we're the ones to blame in a general sense. Uh, in addition, I would assign some of the blame to the devil. You remember it was the devil that was the one who uh, tempted Adam and even in the first place. He's really the author of death. He led them astray. And so ultimately, he's responsible as well for bringing all this death and destruction we know of all of God's created beings, the devil is the strongest and the most powerful. We know he has amazing abilities. For example, when he asked permission from God to strike Job, he was able to create a whirlwind that destroyed the home where Job's children were having a party. And he was able to strike Job with boils, skin, you know, skin disease from head to toe. And so he has amazing power. But ultimately, of course, we know that Satan's power is, is tempered by God. He can't do anything he wants. And so it raises the question, does it ultimately come back to God again anyway, you know? Now, I do believe that the devil has a lot of leeway in terms of what he's able to do in our world today. Because I believe if certain, and it's just my opinion, but if certain conditions are right, if certain situations are right, I think the devil has permission to do malicious things. And oftentimes it's because people open the door to him. Let me give you an example, if you doubt what I'm saying. In the book of Ephesians, the apostle Paul said, be angry, but do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And then he says, don't give the devil a foothold. The word foothold there means a place to operate. Paul was saying that when our anger is not properly being used, the devil gets in there. He gets a foothold to use the circumstance to bring about bad. And so you get people that get so angry they kill someone. Prompted by the evil one. And so I think if certain situations are right, whether it be in an individual's life or a nation or whatever, when certain conditions are right, I think the devil is allowed to work in certain ways. But it's all tempered by, by God. Which brings me back to the question, is God ultimately responsible for the pandemic? You know, if something like a storm happens, we call it an act of God. Question, is it really an act of God? Now, from my perspective, God is sovereign. It means he rules over everything. And so I think if anything happens that's not good, one of two things are true. It's just my opinion. One of two things is true. Either God allows it for whatever reason, or God actually does it. He orchestrates it. He brings it about. He either just allows it to happen. In other words, he says, I'm not getting involved there, or else he's actively Involved with it in either case, by the way, he's using it for the good. Now, we're going to look at a passage this morning that I think focuses on this question. It does answer the question, would God do something like send a pandemic? Would he do it? We're going to look at some verses here from Second Chronicles chapter 7 and chapter 8 that answer the question. Would he do it? And the answer we're going to find out is actually... Yes, under some, some circumstances. Not that he himself does it, but he sends angels to do it or wherever else. But he's behind some of these things, as we'll see in a minute. Now, 
some of you are concerned by that. And maybe rightfully so, because you think, if God did something like that, what kind of God is it? I mean, what, what kind of God would instigate war? A pandemic, pestilence, famine, you know, things like this. What kind of God would do that? And I think that's a valid question, and we'll, we'll talk about this, but one thing I want us to know right up front is I'm convinced that God is good to his very core. You know, Josh talked about the fact that God is love. He doesn't just love, he is love. God is also good. And everything God does is good, and I'm convinced that everything that he allows or does himself is for the good. Our God is masterful about using bad circumstances to bring wonderful things about. He's just good about that. Even things like a pandemic, if you look at it, you realize there were some blessings associated with this thing that came about. But God uses bad for good. Now Today we're going to finish our series titled Take Time. First week we talked about taking time just to evaluate. I think I don't want to skip past all of this. And hopefully we will get past it, but I don't want us to get past it without stopping to reflect on maybe some lessons God wants to teach us. We talked about that we need to uh, take time to slow down. One of the positive things about this pandemic is it, it, it caused us all to slow down a little bit. That was a good thing. What if we started taking a Sabbath day and connecting with our God on that day? And then, then the third week, last week I talked about reconnecting with other people. I feel like that's something we need to take time to, to get back involved with other people. But today, it's take time to reconnect with God. And I'm going to focus today on a small part, a few verses, six or seven verses, of what my research indicates is the second longest prayer in the Bible. So the longest prayer in the Bible was a, a prayer that was prayed by Nehemiah in the Old Testament. Of course, he was the leader that was responsible for building the wall around the city of Jerusalem. But the second longest prayer in the Bible was prayed by Solomon. And we're not going to look at the whole prayer, but we're going to look at a section of this prayer because it, it kind of answers the question we're looking at here today. But let me set the context before we jump into the verses. So Solomon was the third king of Israel after Saul, after King David. And so King David was his father. And David, the author of the Psalms, or many of the Psalms, was someone who wanted to build a temple for God because David re realized that he was living in this beautiful cedar palace, just a wonderful, beautiful palace. And then he considered that the, the Ark of the Covenant and, and all the sacrificial things were in a tent. And he had it in his heart to build something really wonderful for God. I want to build, build a temple for you. God said no. God told David no because he had shed too much blood. He had been involved in too many battles. But God told David that he would allow his son Solomon to do it. Uh, so David gathered most of the materials to build the temple. And I think even the design, he got it all together. And then he passed away and Solomon went ahead and, and built this temple. And it was amazing. The craftsmanship was amazing. They used the finest materials on the planet. The stone foundation for this thing was just amazing. If you've ever seen the blocks that were used for the temple in Jerusalem, it's just remarkable. And they used material, wood material, cedar, which was very expensive in the day. The inside of the temple was plated with gold, solid gold, so if you walked into the, this temple area, the floor was gold. It was wonderful. 
So why did he put so much into this and make it so wonderful? It's because he knew he was building a temple for the creator of the heavens and the earth. It was, it was a temple for God. But not just that, he wasn't just creating a temple for God. This was a situation where God had said, I will dwell there. Now, in one sense, we understand that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. And Solomon, in his prayer, even acknowledges, God, you can't even fit in the temple. I mean, you're greater than this temple. But God had promised to have a special manifestation, a special presence in that temple, in the Holy of Holies of that temple. And so this was... uh, I mean, this was remarkable because God was choosing to dwell among his people. Now, he had done this before, of course, when he led them out of Egypt. Remember how he accompanied them? He led them with a a cloud by day and a funnel of fire by night. And, And so it was God with his people. And Solomon realized that, that this was being built for God whose presence would somehow be localized there. Because that's the case, I want to make two observations about this prayer as we talk about what it was like. The first thing I want to mention about it is that Solomon mentions throughout the prayer about his people or God's people praying toward the temple or in the temple. He says time and time again, if, if your people pray toward this place or toward this temple or in this temple, then please hear their prayers Now, the reason I want to talk about it briefly is that it raises the question, should we do that? Obviously, Solomon was saying to do this because he recognized that God had said, I'm going to be right there. So when, when you pray, point in the direction where you know that God is. And the people of Israel began to do that. And we know that even from the example of Daniel years later. Because Daniel, you remember, he was in Babylon and he was the guy that was thrown in the lion's den. And the reason he was thrown there is because he dared to pray to God instead of the king. But the text indicates in the book of Daniel that Daniel prayed out a window specifically that was facing Jerusalem. He was acknowledging the presence of God. So it raises the question, should we do the same? Should we be praying toward Jerusalem? The answer is no. You say, how do you know? Well, because Jesus told us, when you pray, pray our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. And so we acknowledge God is in heaven. And when we pray, we pray to our God in heaven. God doesn't have a a localized presence with the Holy of Holies now as he did one day. Now, in one sense, he lives inside of all true believers through his spirit. But we're told, pray to our Father who is in heaven. Second observation I want to make about this prayer that you're going to see immediately is that Solomon implies that the bad things that happened to the people of Israel were were because of of sin. He directly ties together those two ideas. He says, if you're attacked by other nations because of sin, if if you have famines or pestilence because of sin, and it raises the question, is, is all this because of sin? I mean, if bad things happen, is it always tied to sin? Now, we'll, we'll see in a minute that's not always the case. But I want you to understand why he did that. It was based on the fact that God had made an agreement or covenant with Israel. And God had said to them, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. And God gave them the, the agreement to this covenant on Mount Sinai, starting with the Ten Commandments. And, and God told them, I'm going to dwell among you. And if you break the covenant, God told them ahead of time bad things were going to happen. 
God specifically said, if you break the covenant by going after other gods, and I'll explain why that's so significant in a minute, but if you go after other gods or if you break the covenant or the agreement, then I'm going to send, as we'll see in a minute, he said, I'm going to send pestilence. I'm going to send enemies to your door. I'm going to send famines and your crops are going to fail. And he told them ahead of time. And so Israel was supposed to have the perspective, if I see these things, if we're under attack and we're losing the battle, if we're facing famine, if there are diseases that are spreading among us, they were supposed to at least ask the question, is it because of something we're doing? Have we violated God's covenant? And Solomon clearly in his prayer recognized that. With that in mind, let's begin reading 2 Chronicles 6, 24 to 30, where Solomon said, if your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you, and they return to you and praise your name, and they pray and plead for mercy before you in this temple, may you hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel, may you restore them to the land you gave them and their ancestors. When the skies are shut and there's no rain because they've sinned against you and they pray toward this place and praise your name and they turn from their sins because you're afflicting them, may you hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants and your people Israel so that you may teach them the good way they should walk in. May you send rain on your land that you gave your people for an inheritance. When there's famine on the earth, when there's pestilence, which pandemics would fit into that category at least, when there's blight, mildew, locusts, or grasshoppers, when their enemies besiege them in the region of their fortified cities, when there's any plague or illness, whatever prayer or petition anyone from your people Israel might have, each man knowing his own affliction and suffering and spreading out his hands toward this temple, may you hear in heaven your dwelling place and may you forgive and repay the man according to all his ways since you know his heart for you alone know the human heart. Of course, again, notice he's acknowledging God's in heaven, but he's also acknowledging God is here, a physical manifestation here. Now, let me stop for a moment, but Solomon in these verses just addresses three problems they may, may come upon the nation of Israel. The first one was if they're being defeated by an enemy, if they're being attacked and defeated. Number two is if they experience famine due to a lack of rain. Of course, those are Related, if God withholds rain from a place, then you're going to end up with the inability to grow crops. And then third, if you're facing a pestilence or, or a plague, and under plague it included a variety of things like blight, mildew, locusts, illnesses, anything that's out there as a consuming thing, if, if you send any of these kinds of things. Now notice again that he ties these things to Israel's unfaithfulness or sinfulness. Second Chronicles 6, 24 again, he said, if your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they've sinned against you. Verse 26, when the skies are shut and there's no rain because they've sinned against you. So clearly this indicates Solomon's understanding at the time when he prayed the prayer. He was connecting, clearly connecting what Israel was doing with what was happening to them. Now, again, I think it raises the question, should we do the same? And Israel clearly had, again, this mindset. If something bad happens, we need to ask why. 
What are we doing? Is there a connection between what, what we do and what ends up happening to us, the bad things that happen to us? And in the final analysis, the answer is sometimes. But with Israel, there were very specific things that, that God said was going to happen. Now, why such extreme actions against Israel? Well, it's because, again, let's go back to this covenant. When I was in Israel a few years ago, Ray Vanderlyn was our tour guide, and he made the point that what happens on Mount Sinai when, when God gave the covenant to Moses, you know, the Ten Commandments plus all the Old Testament laws, he said the way that's described in the Hebrew language is it's like a, a, a wedding. It was like a wedding. When God was saying, I want to be your God and you're going to be my people, he was saying, I want to be your husband, you're going to be my wife. I'm going to live among you. I want to be with you. And so suddenly it adds new significance to this idea. What if they went after idols and other gods, which they consistently did in the Old Testament? What's happening there where they're committing adultery? It's a very, very serious crime. Spiritual adultery. They're turning away from God. They're choosing this other thing. So God said, I'm going to send things your way. Now it started mild, but it would get worse as time went on if they wouldn't listen to him. But you see why it was kind of a serious thing. Now, I think personally that we need to ask ourselves the same question as a nation and as a people. Now, we're not Israel. I get that. But we are the church, if you're a Christian. And you remember that even though we're not under the Old Testament covenant, Jesus said we are under the New Testament covenant. In fact, the word covenant means testament. It's the same word. Remember how Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he held up the cup. This is the new covenant I'm making with you now. Their minds would have immediately, the disciples, gone to Mount Sinai. Oh, you're introducing a new covenant, a new agreement. Are not Christians in the New Testament called the bride of Christ? So when we're asking the question, would God do something like this among us as a nation or to get to the attention of his church, his people, I think the answer is yes. It's not always that way. I, I'm not suggesting here that every bad thing that happens in our nation is a result of sin. But shouldn't we at least ask the question, is God maybe trying to get our attention I remember 9-11, it was so memorable. Of course, that's one of those events that most people can remember exactly where they were when it happened. Uh, I knew exactly where I was. I was changing a tire. I was at a tire place watching the news, and I watched in real time as the second plane hit the second tower. The cameras were already there because of the first one, and I'm watching this, and I watched in, in real time the moment it happened when the plane hit. And I said something when that happened, which I don't know why I said it, and I didn't know it. But it came right out of my mouth, Osama bin Laden. I don't know why I said it, because I didn't know anything about the guy, and I don't know why I would think he would do it, or how he could even do it, but I thought that's it. It's Osama bin Laden. That Sunday was remarkable. The attendance in church shot up dramatically. It got the attention of... Our nation, I'm telling you, God takes things and he brings out good. He doesn't do certain things or allow certain things unless maybe this is the only way to get our attention. 
And people began to turn back to God. Suddenly we realized maybe we, maybe we need God. It was like a, a wake-up call. And people began to seek God. I know some people that found Jesus Christ the Sunday after that. We had a prayer meeting right before that weekend and the news came out here and, and people just, their hearts were humbled and they realized maybe we need to turn back to God. I'm just suggesting that God may do things like that. Now Solomon had prayed this prayer was his theology right even that, that sin will relate and cause some of these things or whatever? And how did God respond? Well, the answer is found in Second Chronicles 7, 12 through 14. We read, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple of sacrifice. If I close the sky so there is no rain, or if I command the grasshopper to consume the land, or if I send pestilence on my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Now, some of you are familiar with that Second Chronicles 7.14, you know, of my people called by my name, humble themselves, see my face, pray, turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven. Maybe you didn't know the context. It's in the context of this prayer that Solomon had prayed. But notice that God is saying, I will be responsible for some of these things. Look at the verse again. I've highlighted the pronoun, I. If I close the sky so there's no rain, if I command the grasshopper to consume the land, or if I send pestilence on my people, this is the answer sometimes to the question. I, I understand it's hard to accept sometimes. And throughout the Old Testament, I think probably in the New Testament as well, but godly people of all the ages have struggled with this answer. They've struggled with God, why? Why are we suffering? Some of the Psalms talk a lot about this. God, would you lift your hand up from us? Why are we going through this? Why do you allow us to continue to be attacked? Why are we not prospering? Why do you not restore the land back to your people? And they're crying out along these lines. I want us to understand that regardless of what we're suffering, it's okay to turn to God about it. In fact, that's again my takeaway. Turn time to, take time to reconnect with God. Don't turn away from him in a time like this. This is the time to turn to him. He can handle whatever you're going through, whatever trial. James talked about this. James not only acknowledged the good that comes out of the, the, the bad things, but he acknowledged that it's good sometimes to ask God about it. He wrote in James 1, 2 through 5, Consider it a great joy, my brothers, whenever you experience various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. But endurance must do its complete work. Let it do the work that God intends for it so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and without criticizing, and it will be given to him. And one of the things I love about Solomon's prayer, going back to it, is that the heart of God all along is blessing for his people. God, God is, doesn't want any of these things. Do you think God takes pleasure in a pandemic? Do you think God takes pleasure in war and, 
and pestilence of various kinds and famines. Do you think God takes pleasure in those things? Absolutely not. He would much rather bless. And part of God's answer to this prayer is an answer to, it was an answer to the prayer. And the answer is, if you do certain things, there's restoration possible, there's hope possible, there's blessing that's possible. But let it get your attention. Going back to verse 14 again, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray and seek my face, they turn from their evil ways, then I'll hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I'm going to heal their land. This is, this is the heart of God. You see, God is about discipline, not punishment. You say, what's the difference between the two? Well, I define punishment. I mean, it has different definitions, but I define punishment as punitive. It, it has the idea of, of just giving you what you deserve. It's kind of like our judicial system where you just get what you deserve, an eye for an eye. You committed this crime, this is what you get, period. It's not about restoring the person. It's not about helping the person grow or change. It's about an eye for an eye. That's punishment. But discipline is about growth. It's about restoration. It's about hope. It's about looking forward. The God, things God does are all about discipline. It's not easy. The writer of Hebrews wrote in Hebrews 12, 11, he said, no discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the fruit of peace and righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Let it train you. Discipline is not enjoyable. It's really painful. But later on, it brings us good result. It, it leads to peace with God and righteousness, holiness in your life, and, and we get trained by it if we let it do it. Now, this passage we're looking at is from the Old Testament, and I know people are going to say we're not the nation of Israel, and America's not a theocracy. So it's not a complete transfer over here today. And so people might think it, it, it doesn't apply. But this is how I think God works even in nations and countries, not just theocracies. I believe personally as a nation that God's been trying to get our attention. He's doing it in various ways. I believe as a nation and as a world, we have strayed from God. We have strayed from God's word. We have strayed from God's people. And we have strayed from God's ways. We've decided God's ways no longer apply. They don't apply to us. God's word is archaic. I don't have to listen to it. I don't have to respond to it. And I believe God's trying to get the attention of the whole world. And his heart has come back. Come back to this place. Now, how do we apply this to our lives? Well, let me mention a few applications here. And then I want to just very, very briefly, not long at all, talk about personal things that happen. Like, I'm talking this morning not about your individual suffering, but about suffering as a nation, you know, something national. But we all suffer individually as well. So what do we do with that here? But in terms of this national thing, number one, I think we'd be foolish not to consider that God's trying to get our attention. And when more things come down the pike, we need to stop and consider, is God trying to get our attention? because I think he is. Number two, I would encourage any of us, if we're involved with things that we know that don't please God, we know it, I would encourage you to 
humble yourself and say, I'm not going to continue rebelling against you. I would encourage you to repent. And the third takeaway here is that I believe that the prosperity of our country relates to Christians. Notice this verse again, 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their evil ways, then I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. What comes to my mind, I know that's again talking about the nation of Israel or in our context, the church. But God will spare a nation based on the righteous within it. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, Sodom and Gomorrah and other places. Do you remember Abraham's prayer? God, if there are 50 righteous people in this city, will you spare it for the sake of those 50? God said, yeah, I won't wipe it all out for the sake of those 50. And God, Abraham kept arguing until it was down to 10. And God said, well, yes, if I see even 10 righteous people, I believe that it's the righteous within a city. I think it's within a city or a, a state or a country. It's the righteous that hold back many times what God may be wanting to do. I think we need to listen. Now, again, we've been talking about national issues, but what about you personally? Like the pandemic is nationwide, but what if you get COVID? Does that mean you've sinned against God? No. How do we interpret the things we go through? Number one, I think most of the things we go through in life that are hard are because we live in a fallen world, period. That's what I talked about earlier. We're all subject to the conditions of this broken world that we live in, the corruption of this world. And so we do get sick. We can't avoid it just because we're Christians. When Adam and Eve sinned, thorns grew up. But that doesn't mean if you're a Christian, you'll never get scratched by one. We live in a broken world. And so a lot of things that happen to us are just part of living in this environment. Maybe most of the things we face are that. Second, it's possible that we're facing a difficulty because God wants to test us. And there are lots of examples in this Bible. Of course, he knows what we're made of, but we don't. And many times God allows us to go through things and then we, it strengthens our faith. We realize, we realize our, our faith is genuine in our God. I think third, it's because we'll grow in character. All, all, every single bad thing that happens to us, by the way, should serve this purpose regardless of why. It helps us grow in character. And so we ought to look at that and say, where's God wanting me to grow? And then finally, it is possible, it is possible God's trying to get your attention concerning some sin in your life. And we need to listen if that's the case. I'm not saying that is the case, but if that's the case. And if you don't know the reason why, James says, ask, and God will help us. The bottom line is this. We use this occasion to take time to reconnect with our God. It should turn us toward him and not away from him. Let's pray. Father, I'm, I, I'm just amazed when I think of your goodness. You're, you're good in every single way, even in the difficult things, even in the hard things. You are masterful about turning hard things into wonderful things and, and rejoicing in our sorrow into gladness. You've promised, O oh Lord, that you will work all things out for the good to those who love you and know you. Walk according to your purpose. So help us, O Lord, to learn what you'd want to teach us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time.